Hey guys, I hope you're loving the Making Bank episodes. Please make sure you guys like and share these episodes as well as comment below for the guests. They love to come back and interact with you. And I really appreciate you watching and listening to Making Bank. So thank you. You are are listening to Making Bank, where we uncover the mindset and success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business. Welcome to Making Bank. I am Josh Felber, where we uncover the mindset and the success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business today. Excited for today's guest, James Altucher, Evan Carmichael, Anthony Sarandria, Bob Glazer, Gino Wickman, Jeremy Slate, Mitchell Levy. So as entrepreneurs and you know, as we're going and innovating and coming up with ideas and everything and through all your ups and downs, what was maybe like one key component, whether it was mentorship or who you surround yourself with, that's really helped you, um, you know, continue to be able to climb and stay with it and grow? Right. So in addition to um, making sure, you know, again, you have to be physically healthy. If you're sick in bed, right. you can't start a company. If you don't surrender to the things you can't control, you'll be too busy trying to argue on Twitter or whatever <laughs> it is that you're not controlling well. Um, and, and, you know, so assuming you've got that, all that for me, I call it a daily practice of making sure I've checked the box on all four of those items. Really the most important thing for me is exercising the idea muscle. Hmm. So you look like you're in shape. Do you work out in a gym? Uh, so I used to have, own some CrossFit gyms, but now I have one in my basement. So <laughs> Right. So you not only work out in a gym, you own gyms. Yeah. So, uh, so good for you. Um, but if you don't – let's say – you have an accident and you're, you're, you're okay, but you just have to like lie in bed for four weeks. So you have to lie in bed and not move for four weeks. Mm. If you get up and walk, right, you'll, your leg muscles will atrophy so fast, you'll need physical therapy to walk. And muscles atrophy very quickly. Now, the idea muscle, the muscle in your brain, the part of your brain where you come up with, where you're creative and you come up with ideas and you connect the dots in society to figure out how you can contribute to it. That's a muscle and it needs to be exercised. Most people think I'm just going to wait till ideas hit me like lightning. Sure. And you can't do that because you, you won't, your idea muscle will have atrophied. So when the good idea comes along, it's just going to, it's just going to skip right over you. You won't, you won't be able to recognize it. So the way you exercise that idea muscle, there's lots of ways, but the way I do it is every single day um, I take, every single day I take a waiter's pad and I write 10 ideas down. Mm. So, uh, and I've been doing that, I would say on and off since 2002 when I first found a box of waiter's pads. (laughs) And I will say in 2002, just the process of doing that saved my life. Like that was when I was the most depressed the most considering killing myself. And I started writing these, I, I wrote my first idea list down and I felt for the first time in, in two years, I felt like excited, like thing, I felt it, like things started connecting in my brain. And after a few weeks of doing it, it was like my brain was on fire. And cause my idea muscle had been activated and it had never had been really activated before. And, and of course the older you get, the more you have to exercise it like with anything else. And the times when I went broke was when I wasn't 
writing 10 ideas a day down or when hmm. I wasn't keeping in physical shape or when I was indulging too much in toxic relationships or when I was trying to control too much the things I can't control. But certainly writing 10 ideas a, a day down helped me considerably in terms of coming up with new ideas that led to either entrepreneurship opportunities or investment opportunities or book opportunities or podcast opportunities or it doesn't have to be any of those. It could be opportunities of things I enjoy and that I'll make no money and get no benefit from, um, no superficial benefit from, but might change my life in drastic ways. It all comes from having a very active and powerful idea muscle. And whenever I forgot to do this practice, I would go broke within months. Hmm. It, wow. it was like clockwork. I would go broke once I stopped exercising that idea muscle. And like, you know, even like today's idea list, I called it cities 2.0. So 10 ways I think cities might change over the next few years, given how this lockdown is affecting, you know, cities overall. And, you know, we were just talking about another before the podcast, or we we're talking about another project I'm working on that right. purely came from an idealist that I shared with somebody who said, who wrote back to me and said, let's do it. And boom, suddenly I'm doing this project that will have, you know, you know, hopefully huge impact. And, the, the company that I'm excited about starting now, first company I've ever been excited to start, actually, to be honest, because I hated entrepreneurship <laughs> every step of the way. Uh, you know, it came from having an idealist about what changes are happening in society now that are completely different now that we've had this pandemic and, and lockdown. And, and I don't know, this process is a bit of writing ideas down. It's a very exciting process for me. Everybody's like, oh, I got to figure out what my passion is, what my purpose is. I've changed entire careers like over a dozen times, mostly because I was either bad at a prior career or I would lose interest, which is normal. Sure. And there's no one passion or one purpose. And so what do you do if you spend, let's say someone out there has spent 30 years as a marketing manager for Procter & Gamble, and then because of this pandemic, they got laid off. Well, what do they do now? Well, they might say, well, I've always had a passion in cooking. What do I do? I'm not a, I'm not like Wolfgang Puck. I'm, not, I'm never going to be the best chef in the world. I'm 55 years old or 50 years old or 45 years old. What do I do? And so I've changed passions so many times. I got good at the particular skill of figuring out how to very quickly um, skip the line and be in the top 1% of whatever your new passion is so you could start to monetize it because – there's only so much you could do in a passion before you need to start making money from it or else you'll have to not do it so you can make money and support your family. And so that's that. And I was always grappling with this idea, this concept of the 10,000 hour rule where, right. oh no, you can't skip the line. You need to put 10,000 hours before you're good at something. And really through a lot of, again, trial and error, I figured out that is not true that the 10,000 hour rule is good and important for many areas, but it's, if you want to skip the line and become the top 1% in your passion or industry or career, there's many things you can do where you don't need to put in the 10,000 hours before you get to that point where you're acknowledged as being in the top 1%, you're getting paid for it, and you're, you're enjoying the thing you're most passionate about, which is going to be a critical area of life now kind of watching your kind of transformation over the last few years even too and i mean we follow each other online and everything the whole believe you know i've i 
you've kind of branded into that and that's kind of become part of who you are. What, where did that, I guess, come from? And, um, and, and I know when I kind of entered the bio, you know, it's people don't believe in themselves enough. Uh, what, what is that message, you know, you're trying to connect with people on and, and then what are you trying to bring to them? Yeah. So I think lack of belief is the biggest problem in the world. It's what I'm trying to solve every day. I think everybody has a most important core value that when you figure out, it gives you a lot more clarity on how to live your life and the projects that take on. So I see the world through the lens of believe. Everything that I do is trying to help myself as well as other people believe in what I call their Michael Jordan level genius at something. You could be the greatest in the world at something. And it's probably not what your parents did or what you went to school to learn. It's something else. But if you don't believe in it, you won't chase it down. Meanwhile, dummies are winning off of your idea just because they started and believe in themselves a little bit more. And so when you figure out what your most important core value is, a brand is just an emotion, right? A, a brand is what do people feel about you? So I want people to feel belief. I want them to feel when they're engaging with any in this interview, if they watch the replay, if it's any of my YouTube videos or Instagram content or one-on-ones or speaking gigs or books, I want people to feel like they have a little more belief in themselves because they were around something that I created. And so do you think, because I talk to entrepreneurs or different people all the time, a lot of people get stuck with fear, you know, like they're, they, they have the fear so they don't take action and all that. Do you think it comes from then not believing in themselves enough or... Uh, for sure. I mean, I think that's why it's the world's number one problem, the lack of, of belief. But I think also you could talk your way through it and to say, OK, sure. well, I've done something like this before. And so now I, I can do something like this again. But what I try to do now, instead of even having the intellectual conversation with myself, is being afraid is not a good enough reason. Hmm. Just period. If you're afraid, that's not a good enough reason. Now. That doesn't mean you just go jumping from a helicopter with no parachute because you're afraid, right? Like, that's just stupid. Don't be right. stupid. But most of the things that we're afraid to do, we're not even afraid of failing, Josh. We're afraid of failing in front of somebody else. We're, mm. We'll sing in the shower, but you won't sing on the street corner. Right. Because we're afraid of the judgment. That's really what we're afraid of is other people's judgment. And that's not a good enough reason. So I try to catch it whenever I'm afraid. I have to do it. Just because, because fear is the fear is the reason, and fear is not a good enough reason. So, scary, difficult, or hard are three trigger words for me. That if if I say scary, difficult, or hard, or if I write it in a message, or if I'm thinking it, or if I say it in the conversation, and I've trained the people around me too, that if if I say scary, difficult, or hard, like ah, oh, okay, now I got to do it, because I said those words. Because that's not a good enough reason for me not to do the thing. One of the things that you did mention, I think a couple of times was uh, mentorship. Uh, how yeah. key was that, you know, for your growth over the years? Dude, it's, it's everything at every stage. It really is. I mean, it's like, I think it's Tony Robbins that says like life's biggest shortcut is, and I'm butchering what he's saying, but essentially get around people that are where you want to be or doing what you want to be. And he goes, that is really the cheat code to life. And I really take that to heart and took that to heart at every stage of, of your life or business. When you start hitting milestones, uh, you, you know, the, the key to me to get better is to get around people that are doing things that I want to be there. And that's not, that could be financially, that could be spiritually, that could be philanthropically, health wise, whatever it is. And, and uh, <clears throat> you, you know, you, you start seeking out 
these people. And, you know, one thing that, that I, I wish I, I understood when I was uh, really in heavy in a men mentee role, not mentor, was the mutual benefit you bring as a mentee. So you start realizing when people get really successful, it, another million dollars, another thousand dollars, whatever the amount is, doesn't juice them up, doesn't get them excited as much as seeing someone that is where they, I'm not saying every human's like this or every entrepreneur, but to me, the right mentors and the ones that, that help, and I think more a majority of people than we give credit for, uh, and I'll even just speak for myself, I get more excitement out of seeing an 18-year-old kid saying, hey, I just want to be able to pay for my mom's hospital bills because she's really sick by this business venture that I'm starting. And I'm like, let's fucking go, dude. Like, you know, I, it, it, it pumps me. It makes me feel like a million bucks. It feels infinitely better than our numbers boosting 10% this week. It really, really does. And I wish I understood that because I felt like such a leech when I was a mentee. And I felt like I was leeching off these people for knowledge and experience and things like that. And I didn't realize I was actually paying them more than they were paying me. I was paying them with purpose and, and uh, in, the, in their life that, that now as you reach different levels in your business and your life, you, you realize it's harder and harder. It's like, they call it what in drugs, tracing the, I don't do drugs, but ch tracing the, chasing the dragon, right? Right. Like, uh, you're, 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 it becomes harder and harder to get that hit and that excitement. And at least for myself, I found that excitement and that hit through mentoring um, and, and, and finding mentees actually apply what I'm saying and spend the time and really are just go-getters and I see myself in. And so anyone listening who doesn't have a mentor or maybe scared to reach out to someone, realize the value you're bringing to someone in, in that mentee role is you're bringing purpose to that mentor. And hopefully that makes you not as afraid to, afraid, excuse me, to reach out to some really high-level people that you would have thought maybe won't respond to you or take the time or... Um, you know, I, I just, I, I'm too busy or, you know, you know whatever it is, whatever re bullshit reservation you're giving yourself to not getting around mentors, it, it really is life's biggest cheat code. And I think anyone listening who's ever accomplished anything, even if it was indirectly, you read a book, that was a mentor, the author, you watch a YouTube video, that guy was a mentor, you listen to a podcast, that was a mentor at that point. So uh, any versions of these digital mentors today work as well too. They're so much more available than just having to go get a book and read 300 pages to download someone's life. But that's why people say read a lot because you're really downloading someone's life in pages. I prefer it in you know a, a much more rich conversation uh, on uh, in person if you can over the phone with someone where they we can get real time personalized feedback and I can ask personalized questions. But a podcast is is amazing. It's it's great. We're in 2020. We get get access to this stuff. So. If you're listening, you're already seeking out mentors, and I, I would just urge you to continue to. The best way for an entrepreneur to do it, and you know, I actually admittedly had someone tell me this, an, an older mentor of mine. He said, block out an hour every Friday and call your customers and mm. talk to them with zero, zero expectation of sure. saving a sale, making a sale, upselling, literally conversation. So every Friday, admittedly, probably every other Friday at this point, I should get back to every Friday. That's a good reminder for me. Um, I'll, I'll call up my customers. I go, Hey, you know, uh, my name is, you know, Anthony, I'm the owner of the business. Uh, can I give you a, a $25, you know, Starbucks gift card? Just chat with me for a few. I just want to see where you were before this, after. And dude, I found so much gold out of that. I found out I'm helping people, uh, save their marriages, divorce, suicide, depression through helping them with their finances. Wow. I never thought about that. Wow. For sure. People lose weight because now they don't have to work a double job because they're putting, I'm putting, helping them put more money in their pocket. Like, wow, that's something I didn't know about. I, I forgot how much religion plays into people's finances. It's literally against, you know, if anyone Christian listening, you know, in the Bible, you know, you're, you're a slave to your creditors and, and uh, mm -hmm. it's literally against your religion. To, to, so all of a sudden our marketing messaging, our conversations, our customer service, the guy managing comments on Facebook, 
is just responding in a totally unique, different way than anybody else would about an insurance or financial product. And I think, you know, you add up little wins like that. And, and, and tactically speaking, you know, I'm, I'm speaking to every entrepreneur listening. It's, it's spend the time to call your customers with nothing in return, expectation in return, literally just to understand and learn where they are on a deeper psychological level that you can then, you know, echo throughout your organization, or if it's just you echo throughout your, your marketing or your conversation with your customers, things like that. Cause if one person saying, you know, you helped me grow closer to my faith, uh, there's, there's, there's thousands of others that you've also helped with that same, that, in, that is thinking that same thing that you didn't get a chance to talk to or get that feedback loop. So that feedback loop is so important from the top down. And a lot of times we forget that when, you know, you're running bigger and bigger organizations, you forget, you know, how, can I get my ear closer to the customer? Obviously you can't have it there 40, 50, 60 hours a week. <laughs> right. You got to run, you got to run the business. I'm not naive. I'm not like, dude, you should be in the customer service bullpen for, you know, eight hours a day. Bullshit. But <laughs> even just an hour on Fridays, it's so easy just to set aside once you get it. And it becomes so addicting because even you, you forget, I'm looking at numbers all day. Oh yeah. Sheets and this, and I forget the change I'm actually making in the world. And it re-energizes me every time I do it. Um, and, and, and again, too, uh, across all the other benefits I mentioned for just doing something so simple as start with 15 minutes, start with one call, get one person to pick up the phone. doesn't matter, customer. And, uh, and that's a win for the week. And then build off that. When I was looking at some of your information, too, you kind of, there's, I guess, um, five elements of culture that you've kind of structured out. Um, yeah. What does that look like? Yeah. So I, I think the five elements of a great culture in any organization that I've seen is vision. So the organization has a vision, clear, like, here's what we're here to do. It has real core values, not ones that they just put on a wall, but the way that the people actually behave. Mm. And then goals and targets that sort of manifest that vision. So sure. I, I actually think it, it jumps. It's you have a vision, you have goals and targets, how are you going to get to that vision? And you do it in service of your core values. You don't, you don't get there by, you know, going around your values. And then the modifiers are clarity and consistency. So what people really want from a company is they want a clear vision, clear values, clear goals, and they want consistent vision, consistent values, consistent goals. I, I think this is where entrepreneurial founders tend to drive people crazy. And so that sort of structure <laughs> like makes the game and the rules pretty clear for everyone. You know, here's what we value, here's where we're going, and here are the targets, and, and we're gonna do it. We're gonna talk about them a lot and they're not gonna move. Um, so I, I, I think that structure I, I don't think there's a single definition of a great culture. I think you can have two great opposite cultures. Right. I, I, I liken it to sort of like universities when you, you know, there's large rah-rah city schools and those small, you know, urban liberal arts schools. They just have, they have different value propositions for, for a different type of person. Tell me a little about, uh, you're like, all right, man, I was hoping Joshua was going to ask me this. What's one thing you kind of want to let everybody know about and, you know, something that's super important to you? Yeah, I, look, I think if we think about all of this stuff with respect to COVID in the last couple of months, I, I, I think uh, when I look at businesses, you know, who are and people who are doing well or not doing well, I, I see just a real alignment to to those elements of, of capacity building in terms of, you know, people who've sort of doubled down on their values versus, you know, strayed from them, businesses and people who've said who've who've just, you know, pivoted and learned what they need to learn to kind of make the changes and, and move forward, you know, whether they've watching the news all day and stressed out and letting their health, you know, go to crap or, 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 you know, then on the emotional capacity side, like, look, there's elements of this that we don't control, but, but there's a lot we do control. And so if you sit there all day and you're worried about the stuff that you don't control, you know, it's really, it's really troublesome. So, yeah, I mean, that's, 
I've really seen, like, I, I think if you think about that framework as sort of how an individual or a company would uh, approach, you know, this time period, I think the people who've sort of doubled down on their values, learned and adapted really quickly, kept their like stress levels and their physical health going, and then like leaned into their relationships, they're, they're doing pretty well. No, that's, yeah, super important. Is there a lot of, I mean, I work talking to a lot of people and, you know, they do, they end up getting in this uh, stagnant mindset waiting for something else to happen to move them forward instead of, you know, continuously taking action and resetting and, you know, doing that work themselves um, to make sure they're in a better position whenever things end or change or, you know, shift. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're, they're, you can, we control a lot more than I think we give ourselves credit for, you know, certainly things happen that we don't control, but at the same time, uh, it's, it's, I, I think there's a lot more that we control. You, you and I get into a car accident, you know, this, in, this morning, right. And, and you're like, Oh God, like I, I you're more like, you're like, I have insurance that could have been so much worse. All good. You go back to work, you say hi to people, you close deals, you do whatever. I go back to work. I'm like, Oh man, just another thing. My day's ruined. I argue with everyone. Right. We, we experienced the same thing, right? right. I mean, we had the same thing, but then we, we, we chose dramatically different paths for what it is that comes next. So, yeah, it's all, you know, a lot of it's how the, how you respond to what's happening and, and how you manage the, uh, the whole process and, you know, looking at it. So, yeah, I know there's a lot of kind of back and forth these days more about, you know, are you born an entrepreneur? Are you nurtured into being an entrepreneur? And so, uh, and that was kind of one of the things I took from your entrepreneurial elite book initially as you kind of start talking about that. So I'm curious in kind of what your thoughts are on this as well. Yeah, well, I, ha I have some uh, very um, uh, strong beliefs on this topic. <laughs> it's, it's, I'll try to put it in a nutshell, but, but the book is written in three parts, Confirm, Glimpse, Path. And what we're talking about right now is that first, first part, Confirm, because what I believe is before you teach anyone entrepreneurship, you got to first confirm that they have what it takes that you know you have what it takes out there. And so what I've learned in 30 years of doing this is there are six essential traits that every true entrepreneur has. They are visionary, passionate, problem solver, driven, risk taker, and responsible. And I believe you are born with them. I believe it is absolutely nature over nurture. They can't be taught. That's why they are traits. And so with that, Half the world agrees with me and half the world doesn't. The good news is, you know, all the entrepreneurs I've been surrounded by for 30 years all agree with me. So I, I prefer that my target market, you know, what they think is sure. all that matters to me. So, but it is a debatable topic because the other half of the world doesn't agree with me. And I love when I have this conversation with college professors because half agree with me and half don't, you know? And so yeah. that's a fascinating dynamic when you get into, you know, how they make their living. So I just don't believe that you can teach 7.5 billion people on this planet how to become entrepreneurs. I believe it's a sin. I believe it's wrong. And, and right now, being an entrepreneur is the new rock star. You know, in right. the 70s and 80s, we all wanted to be rock stars. Yeah. Well, now everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. So with that said, I'm going to share another context that's going to take a little bit of the sting off what I'm sharing. But 
There's no question that not everyone is cut out for this. I believe 4% of the world is cut out for this. Hmm. And so I know that's defeating for anyone out there that realizes this. There's an assessment you can take on my website, and we can get into that later. It's free. It takes you 10 minutes. If you score 90 or higher, you probably have these six essential traits. But the point here is I am actually, it's a cautionary tale. I'm trying to save you 10 years of hell. It is so hard being an entrepreneur. You get your ass kicked. You get knocked down so much. Everybody thinks that entrepreneurship is this ultimate pinnacle in life. And it's just right. not. It's, it's a career choice. It's one of 10,000 career choices. And the good news is if you're not one, you know, you just get to check that box and say, okay, that's not for me. And then go pick one of the other 9,999. You're one step closer to knowing why you're on this earth. And, and, and then I'll say one last thing to, to this takes a little bit of the sting off, but I teach something in the book called the entrepreneurial range. And this, if there's any message that comes through in this podcast for your audience, I hope it's this. And so I love that you told them to have something to write with and on everybody out there, please. Writing is the best thing you can do. You'll retain better. So I hope you all listen to Josh and you've got a, something to write on and with. But if you'll illustrate in front of you or picture in your mind an, an arc, if you will. Again, I call it the entrepreneurial range. And this arc, if you'll write on the far right-hand side the words true entrepreneur, and on the far left-hand side, if you'll write the words self-employed. Okay, and so the point here is anyone that owns their own business is somewhere on that entrepreneurial range. And if you think about the entrepreneurs on the far, the business owners on the far right-hand side, the ones that red light in that range, these are the Elon Musk and the Walt Disney's and the Henry Ford's, Oprah sure. Winfrey, Sarah Blakely. On the far left-hand side, self-employed people, these are the one-person shows, the people with a side hustle, the solopreneurs, the, the, the freelancers, the people with lifestyle businesses. So if you own a business, you're somewhere on that range, and it's admirable. If, 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 if you don't have these essential traits, but you have great handy skills, there's no reason you can't go become a great handyman or woman, charge 60 bucks an hour, make 100 grand a year, and, and have your own business and have total freedom. That ain't all bad. Right. What I will tell you is the person that does that, if you have the six essential traits, Within five to 10 years, you're going to own a construction company because your brain can't not stop you from building a business out of that. But for the rest of you, it's okay to have that one person show. You're probably just not going to be on that right half of the range. And that's what the people with the six essential traits do. They have, they are on the right half of that range. Hopefully that makes sense and answers your question. What are some of the things that you've helped find that have uh, led to the success. I mean, you guys have really ramped up. I mean, uh, you know, you you have a I mean, you represent a lot of people, and you know, and everything. What do you think is like led to that success? Well, I I think the really big thing, and and I know a lot of entrepreneurs don't do this, and I I, I don't know what makes them not do this, but we're huge on the way I create a process. Is I do something first, figure out what works, what doesn't. You know, I don't have to be the expert at it. And then we actually write up every single thing about that. So I have some extreme Google Docs with every single step in the process written down and you know, really taken care of. And then every single one of those accompanies like a screen recording. So the thing that's been really important to us is how we train and how we bring people on board. Because really, to build any company, even when it's e-commerce or when it's something more virtual, you still have to have the right people. So like this mm. year, especially, uh, we went from five on the team to 14 Wow! and a lot of it's been how we train people, how we bring them on board, you know, having quality standards, having, uh, one of my favorite things is, you know, it's called a, a, what would you do drill? You know, like a lot of times people get in a situation, they don't know what to do. 
So you create right. these like extreme things that people do in their training. So, you know, the following happens. What would you do in that situation? So when you're training people on, when you're bringing them on board, they're able to think outside of the box a little bit more. And that's really, really mm. important. So we are like hardcore on training. I'm also really big on for certain things, knowing what to outsource. Um, like for paid traffic, man, like it changes so much. You got to find somebody with the agency that knows what they're doing and pay them. And that's been really, really successful for us. Right. Um, so I, I've learned what to outsource, but I've also learned how to how to train people. And that's huge, man. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, training is definitely significant, um, yeah. you know, especially having like the processes and systems like you mentioned. I mean, are most of your people in location? Are they all out like out? Like, do they work remote or virtual, I guess? So um, our entire company is virtual. We have, uh, I think, four, five of us here in New Jersey. Okay. Um, we have a couple people down in Miami. We have a few people out west and then uh, a couple more people in the Philippines. So, like, we're kind of all over the place, man. Um, yeah. And we have just have a really cool team. And every Monday morning, we always start Monday morning with our staff meeting, and each person's responsible for, like, a statistic, meaning, like, how many shows did you book this week? How much did you sell this week? And in our staff meeting, every person presents what their statistic is and what they're going to do to get it up. So we have so we we really have a, a cool um, like team cohesion around that. Sure. No, that's and that's awesome. I mean, having that stand up, you know, the more your morning meeting and stuff at the beginning yeah. of the week, you know, is you know is key. What have you found? Obviously, like the training and the systems, but yeah, that since you're not all in one location, that's really made you guys gel real well and kind of create that culture and stuff. So, you know, definitely having the team chat, the team call every week helps a lot because yep. we go over wins and stuff like that. So that's great. We also have, cause like we have different divisions in our company, right? We have the sales division, we have the, the publicity division, we have just the overall with everybody. So we have a whole bunch of WhatsApp threads going based on what's going on with each group. So people can talk about wins and stuff like that. It's really cool. Um, we also like, Almost everything we do is built off of Google Drive, and we're a little crazy with it. But we also have a lot of collaborative things on there. So one of the things we like to do is we use tagging a lot in Google Drives so that you can tag somebody, they get an email ping, and then you can let them know what's happening. So we keep okay. a lot of people on the same page. Like The ways in which we communicate are super, super important. And um, you know the big one comes from that weekly team call. No, that's that's good. So uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, obviously, I know you have a book that's coming out here. Yeah. So I want to go there in a second. For your interviews and stuff that you've done, you've obviously interviewed some awesome and amazing people. What was kind of one common thread of success that you found between all these different interviews? So one of the big things is adversity, man. Like adversity is a huge, 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 huge thread. And because the average person is going to go for what's comfortable and not sure. just what's comfortable, what's super comfortable. Like they'd rather watch Netflix for four hours than rather figure out their lives. So I find people that have had some crazy adversity. Um, like, like, do you know Bedros Koulian by any chance? Oh yeah. Yeah. Actually okay, we're so, getting them booked on the show right now. So, <laughs> okay. So Bedros has like, he has an intense story, man. Like, you know, came from this country from Armenia as a kid, you know, his, his dad had 250 bucks and they were like eating out of garbage cans when they first came here. And like, because of that, he's willing to take more and do more because of that adversity. It's formed him. And, you know, you look at somebody like Grant Cardone in his twenties, the guy was in drug rehab. Right. Uh, so, and he had somebody tell him he'd never make it. Yeah. So like that really, really, really forms a person because they'll go farther than you. They'll do more than you. They'll work harder than you because they've been, they've been there, man. They've been to the worst you can do. So they'll, they'll do more. I like to put it this way. It's like, if you think about all of us have our body temperature, like 98.6, they can go to 120, man, and they're just like, you can turn the heat up, man. It's fine. I'm, I'm not sweating at all. Like, they're willing to do more and go and go further than you. And I think that's why, you know, that's been the extraordinary thing I've noticed about a lot of people I've talking to, talk to. All the people that you've worked with, 
thought leaders that you've um, you know worked with on their credibility that you've I think interviewed over 500 you know for for that I mean what are you know what is kind of the common theme that you're seeing and then obviously you have it sounds like you have a whole system and process you know to creating like whether that's uh, the 30 second elevator pitch or the credibility is that what you're calling it then um, so you know, the 30 second elevator pitch is too long just okay. to be clear okay so let me let me start off by saying, based on the research, I interviewed 500 thought leaders in a 12-month period, uh, wrote the book that you see back there, Credibility Nation, created a membership community and the start of a movement also focused on credibility. And and let me let me be clear. We'll we'll start with the I don't always like selling negatives, but let me let me talk with the negatives. 23% of you will come late to meetings. 4% of you will come after the hour for a live show. 80% of you may be really good in, in a synchronous communication world, but suck online. 57% of those people in the United States are considered credible, which means that 43% are not. And between last year and this year, the ability of seeing where credibility is going is going downhill. So what I'll say is, from, uh, I'm just going to say from a humanity perspective, how we're perceived in the world, who we are and, and how we interact with others is not only bad, but going downhill. Hmm. So okay. I have an answer. I have a solution. I have a thought. What I've done that came out of the research is a updated definition of the word credibility. As a matter of fact, it's better if you threw the old definition out and, and worked with a new one. Because it's not a new and improved to what was there. It is right. a 67% uh, increase. So what was there before was only one-third accurate. So let's, let's start there, and then let me apply it specifically for every entrepreneur who's listening to this show. So you know the expression that we used to have, we do business with those that we know, like, and trust. Right. I'm just taking that to a whole new level. So the definition today in the, in the Oxford Dictionary is that credibility is the demonstration of trust. Well, then you're trying to figure out, well, what is trust and why would credibility and trust be the same? Let me back off and say, credibility is the quality in which you are known, you are liked, and you are trusted. And by known, I'm not talking about the fact that I know you. What I'm talking about is I know of you. Mm. And that's a big difference. Okay. So the uh, you'll see it in the book. You can see it online. Right. What I've done is taken 10 components that make up no like, and trust. And I've used, a, for those people who, who sort of mathematic and like patterns, I used a 424 model. So there are four components under being known. There are two components under likable, and there are four components under trustworthy. And so under known, it's what, what I'm focused on there, what, what came out of the interviews do you have a desire to serve others? What is your intent? What is your commitment? What is your integrity? So if I knew those elements about you, Josh, I would know you. That doesn't mean I know you 100%. But sure. if I could know that even before the conversation with you, which, by the way, your asynchronous communication is really good, my ability to know and have a feeling of how this interview would go was really high based on what I was able to see of who you are. 80% of the people don't do that. So you're in now, you'd say, I'd say you're in that 20%. Looking at the definition, for trustworthy, there are four components. 
Okay. It is, um, and I did a TED talk in, in uh, 2018, and I only got it 75% right. So at the time, I said it was uh, being able to demonstrate vulnerability, integrity, and authenticity. What I missed was being coachable. Mm. And what what happened from the interviews, Josh, this is killer. As soon as I say it, you're going to go, huh? So what would happen is every interview had five questions. When somebody signed up for an interview, they would get a 13-minute video. Are you ready? 13-minute video on how to prepare for a six-minute interview. Okay? <laughs> I always found that humorous. Right. The first question is, what is your CPOP? What is your customer point of pain? I'm going to tell you that in the U.S. and in the world that we do not have clarity. 98% of people who came in did not were not able to articulate their CPOP. 98%. So if you're an entrepreneur and you're listening to this, what is your CPOP? And that CPOP is, is in 10 words or less, in one to three seconds, who do you serve and what pain point do they have that you address? That's what a CPOP is. Uh, mine is really broad-based. It's humans that want to be seen as credible. I am Josh Felber. You are watching Making Bank. Get out and be extraordinary. Thank you for listening to Making Bank. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. And sharing is caring. Follow Josh Felber on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more. You can also listen to Making Bank on Amazon Alexa, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and watch on Apple TV, Success Thinkers Network, Amazon Fire, and YouTube.